Well, hey, it is so great to be back with you. And how fun is it to be back here in the loading dock? The reason we're in the loading dock right now is because this room right over here, uh, the one that we're calling Studio A, the big main room, it's getting fixed up. We're getting electrical. What else is happening there? Electrical, painting, carpet. carpet. Windows. Windows take it to get them up and- A window. A window, oh yeah, yeah, the window with the control room. Anyway, it's gonna be so fun. Our hope and our goal, God willing, is to be able to be broadcasting from there on Easter Sunday. How fun would that be? And how fitting is it for that to be happening uh, during Lent, right? Almost like a resurrection of the room. So be praying for that. It would be so cool to see that room ready to go by Easter. Hey, speaking of cool, see what I did there? Um, you probably heard a whole lot of cold jokes coming out of snow camp. About three weeks ago, I started getting my first hey texts. Have you heard how cold it's going to get up at camp? As if planning two back-to-back snow camps in a global pandemic with three different tracks wasn't complicated enough. The polar vortex of doom was going to descend upon the um, greater McGregor area right while we were up there. It got cold. How cold was it? I'll tell you how cold it was, Sam. I heard them say on the news that that was the coldest stretch that we had had in 27 years. It got cold, Sam. How cold was it? It got so cold that on Saturday when we woke up on our phones, it said negative 36 degrees. Sam, it was cold. How cold was it? (laughs) It was so cold. When we stepped outside, it was a 100 degree difference between inside and outside. Sam, I'm telling you, it was cold. How cold? It was cold. It was so cold that people were showing me on their phones. It was warmer in places in Alaska and Antarctica. One more. It got cold, Sam. How cold? (laughs) It got so cold that I was talking to Matt, the camp director, um, and McGregor, where he sent his kid to, uh, to basketball. Um, it was so cold, they were canceling indoor basketball practice while we were up there. So you know it's cold when, when we waited for it on Saturday morning, we waited for it to warm up to negative 20 so we could go play broomball. So here's my point. Who, who heads north when it's that cold? We do. We do, and here's why. If you're taking notes, there's a place to write this down in your notes page. Modeling a better way to the next generation is something that Christ taught us to do. Jesus began his ministry around age 30, the scripture tells us, and he was executed within about three years of that. Jesus had an extremely limited time to accomplish his mission, and who did Jesus invest more time in than anybody else. If his disciples were the age of disciples, it's a very good chance that at least several of them, they were in their teens. So during his time on earth, his brief time on earth, Jesus welcomed kids and he discipled teens. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And what was Jesus' model for ministry with those young people? His model wasn't just, I'm gonna teach with words only. His model was to let people see what authentic faith looks like. Up close, 
in real life. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 19 say this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Young people today, they are walking away from what they think is Christianity, and they're doing so in record numbers. What if? What if more of them saw and experienced the real thing? That's why we offer these retreats. We want to do the best job we can in a fallen world to give our people a chance to see and to experience the way of Jesus. Some of the most interesting and counterintuitive feedback we got this weekend, we got a lot of great feedback, but some of the most interesting and counterintuitive was from a middle schooler who doesn't go to our church. She said this, she said, this is so different than anything I've experienced before. I go to church, in fact, I go to a huge church and they take us, or I should say they send us to camp. But what they do is they'll just give us a little 10 minute talk and then it's mostly fun and games from there. And they said, our pastors, they would never come up to these camps. They said, this thing is so different. She said, she said, you guys really believe this, don't you? And she had experienced something powerful and something real. Now, conventional wisdom is not to do that with teens. Conventional wisdom is to do the 10-minute thing with lots of fun and games. Conventional wisdom is to do things differently than Jesus did, but then to think that somehow that is going to draw people to Christ. At Emmanuel, we want to point people to Jesus. And I don't know how you do that or why you would do that without pointing them to the cross. Let's open up to a passage that we looked at with our high schoolers just this last weekend. If you don't have a Bible at home and you'd like a great Bible app, you can find one. If you go to uversion.com, you can download a free Bible app that's really, really good. All right, here's a passage that we looked at just last week with our, with our high school teens. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. In context, this that I just read, it's part of a much larger conversation about what wisdom is and where we find wisdom. Paul is writing to a culture very much like our own, where powerful and persuasive voices were dominating the conversation. In fact, in that area and then also in the Middle East, here are some of these, these voices that were dominating the conversation. Do any of these look familiar? There were the Romans who would steamroll their opposition with political power. There were the mobs that would aggressively threaten and shout down and silence those who they disagreed with. There were the Sadducees who would compromise with the culture to maintain this, their status or keep the peace. Then there were the Pharisees. They would develop these strict purity tests beyond the scriptures to determine who is in and who is out when it comes to God and the things of God. And then there were the Essenes. They just said, forget all of you. There's no point in even trying. Everything is so hopelessly lost that we're going to go seek out our own little safe spaces and uh, you all just do your thing. We've talked about this before as a church family. Every one of these categories still exists in our culture today. These are the types of approaches that people say, hey, 
if you're gonna live in the real world, this, these are the approaches you should choose from. Take one of these because in the real world, you have to be realistic. Well, one of the interesting things that a couple of my sources pointed out as I was taking a closer look at this text this week is that Paul, who was writing to Greeks, he may have been employing a technique from Greek theater. Listen to this. In Greek theater, unless you're already an expert on Greek theater. I wasn't. I learned some things this week. In Greek theater, sometimes a person in the story would appear to be the fool at the beginning. But by the end, it would be revealed that that person who appeared to be a fool, they were the wise one all along. The idea that we're going to find the life that we want on the other side of a cross where we lay down our lives completely and we say, God, I give you everything. I will follow your ways. The idea that that's where life is found sounds crazy to most people. And the idea that if we do that, if we deny ourselves and take up a cross, that others are going to be inspired by that. That's crazier still to most people. People are going to say those other ways that I gave you earlier, they're better. They're more realistic. But when we look at them, what do we see? What do you see when you look at the politics of this day? What do you see? The, the way you've got these people that are so focused on trying to steamroll each other, to try to destroy one another, that our nation's problems continue to be our nation's problems year after year after year. Is that solving anything? And then when you see how quickly, like the mobs, how quickly people are attacked for anything, for anything. Man, is that the kind of world you want to live in? And then, do you respect people who don't have enough conviction in their values for those values to hold up against some pressure? And those new purity tests that are, are popping up everywhere are resulting in getting these tiny little groups because you have so many tests that by the time you're done, you got this tiny little group in this little echo chamber, and that is so unhealthy in so many ways. And on that last group, what does history teach us when good people give up and they, they lose hope and they don't even try to change a culture that is just heading off the rails? What happens then? So from a distance, I get it. From a distance, the cross might seem like foolishness. The cross might seem like a stumbling block. The cross appears to be crazy. But when you get up close, when you see it authentically in action, maybe it's not so crazy after all. But how will people know this? How will people know it if they don't see it? Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, a real cross. If Jesus if he endured the real cross for the joy set before him, how can we not make smaller sacrifices like giving something to our teens in a time when so many things are being taken away from them? For the joy set before us of what we know can happen on these weekends, we'll do it. We'll plan the events. We'll prep the messages. We'll practice the skits. We'll pull out all the equipment, load it up in a U-Haul. We'll host the meetings. We'll figure out registrations. We'll use vacation days. Some of us will even get stuck in ditches. Some of us will have our guitars crack 
So sorry about that, Ian. A lot of us will go without sleep. We'll do that so that our teens, our preteen years, they can see. They don't have to hear us say, we care about you. They can see that we care enough to say, we will figure this out. You are worth it. So, as we do that, then they get this opportunity to come and be a part of something and not just hear that there's a better way. They get a chance to experience a better way as we try our absolute best to make that weekend the way of Jesus. Well, if you're taking notes, there's a place to write this down. Modeling a better way is something that a broken world needs to see more of. They need to see it. We need to, to maybe not talk as much about it as we do. We need to show people Heading north on a cold weekend? Hey, that is a low bar. That is a low bar to clear. There are believers all around the world right now. They're putting their lives at stake. Their lives at stake. They're putting, they're they're risking what the world would say is everything to share the crazy story of a crucified Savior who invites us to find new life on the other side of a cross. At our last covenant annual meeting, Um, we actually needed to turn off our live stream for portions of the meeting because there were portions of the meeting where people were sharing and they were sharing reports from parts of this world where they are at risk. They are risking their lives and the lives of those that are responding to that message because they believe in Jesus and the way that he taught us. It's not safe there to share about Christ openly and yet they do. So come on, trying to figure out A retreat in cold weather, that's a low, low, low bar. And it's been this way from the beginning. Christianity, as we talked about in that last series, overcame impossible odds. Consider these words. I didn't read these in this last series. Check this out. This is from, of all places, National Geographic. They did an issue on Jesus a while back. And listen to this. This is their words. Like billions of other human beings, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, passed through history like a campfire spark, a pinpoint of light here for an instant and then no more. This Jesus, probably called Yeshua in life, left behind no physical trace of his existence, no material works, no writings more permanent than doodles in the dust. That is no more and no less than any other Jewish peasant living in in a remote precinct of the Roman Empire. Yet... Yet, the short life and violent death of this obscure Jew soon took on a meaning that eclipsed the blank pages of his years on earth, filling whole libraries with depictions of what his life produced. Over the ensuing centuries, the religion that grew around him, Christianity, would alter the course of history and become the world's dominant faith with an estimated 2.2 billion adherents today spread across the globe. Even death itself could not stop Jesus' message and his mission from spreading all over the globe. What he promised came to pass. All right, let's go back to a passage that we read in our last series, Acts 1.8. These are some of the last recorded words of Jesus. He said to his followers right before he left, 
to go back to the Father, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, I put on your uh, on the screens there, you can see we've got the Greek word for power, the Greek word for witnesses. Do those words look familiar at all? And not just because I think we showed them to you uh, in, in the last series. Jesus promised that we're going to receive power. And that Greek word sure looks like dynamite to me. Jesus promised his followers that they would receive the kind of explosive resurrection power that is associated with his own life, along with different kinds of signs and wonders that were part of his own ministry. And this power, this is so important, this power was purposeful. This power that was given to the church empowered them to be his what? His witnesses. And does that original Greek word that we translate as witness look familiar here? What word does it look like? Sure looks like the word martyr to me. How did authentic Christian witness become associated with martyrdom? The short answer is martyrdom is what our Lord and Savior modeled for us. The Christian witness was the way of the cross. The first Christians gave themselves fully to the way of Jesus and that put them in opposition with all those other groups that I showed you earlier. For many, following Jesus cost them their lives. That was true then, that is still true today. But sometimes their death actually amplified their witness. There was nothing that could stop this movement and that power that was within them. In this year's Lent series, we're going to be looking at, in the weeks ahead, examples of people who gave themselves fully to the way of Jesus. People that we're still talking about today. Paul is certainly an example of that. Here's an example of the path that he invited people to follow with him. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you want to know what witnessing well looks like, that is a great Great description. Let's quickly break it down. He starts with the word therefore. And we, we say, when you come to the word therefore in scripture, you should ask, what is it therefore? 1 Corinthians 15, it, 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 it speaks, what comes right before this, speaks to the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all this is in vain. If Christ is still in his grave, then the cross, it is foolishness. But he did rise. There will come a day when we'll be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Therefore, he continues, my brothers and sisters. Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He is present and he invites us to become a part of a new body. We aren't supposed to just do this therefore alone. We're able to do it in his new body, his church. We're invited to come together as sons and daughters whose lives have been purchased by his blood, who have been united together with him in his baptism. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. When Jesus sent his disciples out together, 
They came back with all kinds of stories of how they're experiencing God's dynamis in their lives. Jesus' words to them were, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Not even hell itself could stand against them. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself what? Always give yourself fully, fully. My own story, my own story took a radical turn when I paused to consider the amazing grace that Christ demonstrated when he gave himself fully for us. How, how can we sit back when he gives himself fully and then we give ourselves kinda? It doesn't seem right. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. This is so key. Often people are saying they're doing the Lord's work and they're not doing the Lord's work. Either they're doing kind of the Lord's work or they're doing something that, that maybe is, is a variant of the Lord's work. If you're going to identify as Christian and you claim to be doing his work, make sure that you're representing him well. Displaying both grace and truth, love and justice, as we say all the time. Letting people know that they are forgiven and that they're called to go and sin no more. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It would have been so easy for Paul to lose hope. Pretty much everywhere he went, there was opposition to his work in the Lord. And it was so strong that it often appeared as though those churches he stand, started, they didn't stand a chance. And if you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt there is no chance that this faith is going to prevail in this culture, maybe this will give you hope. Let me close with something that struck me last weekend. Maybe it'll give you hope that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Last weekend with our high schoolers, we focused on relationships. And we passed along the same counter-cultural teaching that the, the Bible was giving thousands of years ago. We talked about, hey, if you are not married, if you're not betrothed, focus on friendship, especially in those earlier years. Treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We talked about guarding our hearts and guarding our eyes. Be careful what you're watching. Be careful what you're listening to. We talked about what the scripture says about choosing your friends and your influencers carefully. We grow wise when we walk with the wise, but the scripture says poor companions ruin good character. We talked about how the scriptures say flee. Flee from what the, the Bible calls pornea was a Greek word. From all distortions of healthy, God-honoring sexual expression. You were purchased at a great price, the word says. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the word says. Don't let there even be a hint that you're getting too close to the guardrails that are good and life-giving. Guardrails that God put in place. In Paul's day, those things that I just gave you, those things were considered foolishness then. Foolishness. They were considered unrealistic. They were considered stumbling blocks for people that would hold them back from their best life. 
That was in Paul's day. Well, fast forward a lot of years to 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, when I was teaching these same principles to teens. And many people then said the same thing. They said, Chris, you teach them these things? That is not realistic. But hey, who's the fool? The one who's gonna trust Christ or the one who's gonna trust what the culture has to say? Did you know, this is so sad, did you know that today's young people, teens, young adults, when they survey them, did you know that most of them, an increasing number moving towards most, they're just giving up on, the, on even the dream that one day they're gonna be able to find someone who will commit to them for life. Most are, are they're, 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 it's trending towards most. They're, they're giving up on even thinking that's a possibility for them. That there would be somebody someday that would be there for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health till death do you part. And that makes perfect sense when you stop and think about it because what have they seen? And what have they been told? Most have seen and experienced the pain of divorce firsthand. So few of those marriages that are intact, so few of them have seen a healthy, vibrant marriage. They've given themselves over to others because they've been told to, physically, emotionally, only to be hurt over and over again. They've been on the receiving end of so many broken promises that they've begun starting to keep their guard up and they don't wanna let themselves get hurt again. Why not? Why not lower the bar? Why not lower the bar to friends with benefits? Why not invest in a special relationship until it runs its course and then move on? Surveys have begun to indicate that tragically, more and more young people are just giving up hope that they'll ever experience what it's like to find someone who will commit to them and remain committed to them for life. Do you know what I was able to share with those high schoolers this last weekend? Many of whom were nodding like this while I was sharing those things I just shared with you. I was able to tell about a group of people their age that I knew, a group that was their age and a little younger, and they trusted Jesus. They, they heard his words. They did their best to put them in practice. They encouraged one another. They cheered one another on. And when they made mistakes, because we all make mistakes. Sam, can I get an amen to that? We all make mistakes. When they made mistakes, instead of staying on that broken road, they would do their best to come back to the way of Jesus. They were becoming transformed by his word instead of conforming to the world. And as they grew, they became examples then and leaders and mentors for other younger people as well as people their age. And I was able to share about that youth group where teens came together as brothers and sisters and they did their best to stand firm. They did their best to give themselves fully to the work and ways of the Lord. And their trust in the Lord was not in vain. Why can I say that? And why was this such good news for the people in that room? Because I was able to point to people in that room who were in that youth group who are married today. In fact, as I look back on all of the couples, I've had a, 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 the opportunity to, to officiate the wedding of many of those couples who became couples later, who were kids in the youth group, who met in youth group, and who later got married. 
guess what? 100% of those marriages are still intact. 100% of those couples were still together. And I was able to point to that group of high schoolers. I was able to point and say, right there, here are some people who have lived this out. In fact, of the hundred-ish weddings that have officiated, I know only of one that's ended in divorce. And last weekend, I could point to examples of people right in that room, people that they could see, people that they know. So here's my final question for you this morning. How will the world see that Christ is the power and wisdom of God if they don't see it in us? Hey, none of us can go back in time. But every one of us can start new from this day forward. That is the promise of Christianity. That is what Lent is about. Will you join us this Lent in saying, Jesus, I'm in fully. Will you come to, to learn that there is a better way, that his way is a better way to do relationships and business and education and compassion and neighboring? There's a God. He wants to help you with big questions about college and career. There's a faith that can sustain you when you're facing tragedy and persecution. There's a place where you can come to where to live as Christ, to die is gain. So this Lent, will you join us? Will you press into the way of Jesus? Will you memorize that verse that we worked on earlier in this, this, this message here today? Let's learn from lives that left a legacy. And let's become living witnesses to a power that is at work in our lives. Next week, we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist. Oh, there's a whole lot there to look at about how do you speak to power? How do you do that well? I put a number of references in your note page. You can go to our homepage, um, open up this video, uh, and, and download that. You might want to read ahead um, to those things. But for now, let's close with a song that just might be an anthem for this series. It's a great song called My Testimony.